This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Hey y'all, Benders here with this week's THPN Spotlight. Summer's coming to an end, but it's only getting hotter in New Jersey. The Devil's State of Mind podcast is here, and the heat coming off this thing sets off the fucking fire alarms. This podcast has the enthusiasm of a young David Putty, and he's here to bring the fucking energy too. Join Neil Villapiana as he rekindles your love for the New Jersey Devils. The Devil's State of Mind podcast. It's a sin not to tune in. Woo! What is up, Devils fans? It's your boy, Neil Bell Piano. Make sure you check out the Devils State of Mind podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. From Taylor Ham or Porkroll to how much we hate the Rangers, we got you covered. New episodes every Monday, wherever you listen to podcasts or on the Hockey Podcast Network website. And always remember to rock on. Woo! Hello, you're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm Mason Dixon, joined as always by my wonderful host, the Bayou Benders. And this is Habs Nightly, your hub for Habs content. How's it going, buddy? Uh, hard, hard week, but man, you know, hearing your voice and being able to talk uh, makes it a little bit easier. Uh, beginning of the week, I wasn't sure if I even wanted to do an episode. Um, all I'll say is I've just had some family matters going on, but um, I'm a man who loves his fucking work, and this is my favorite work, so <laughs> it was hard not to, it was hard to say, I don't know if I'll be able to do this week, This week, and I, I'm glad that I didn't and that I'm here. I'm just happy to fucking talk, dude. How are we doing? How are you doing this week, bud? Well, I mean, like, I think we got to be honest here. We're not, we're kind of like bullshitting here. We, we know how we've been doing. We've been talking for <laughs> two fucking hours before recording this episode because we were supposed to record at fucking three o'clock and it's 4.50 right now so we, we, we've one, been one, the clock says an hour six hour hour seven right now um yeah but yeah you know i'm happy i'm happy we we do our talks before because i would have came in a little doom and gloom and I'm, I'm happy that i was able to you know uh wiggle you know sift my way through that shit and actually have a presentable voice and and you know last week was a very personal episode and the personal shit just kept continuing on to this week but I'm in a better place right now to talk and that's what I'm ready to do, bud. Yeah, definitely. And, um, well, let's not kid ourselves. Not a lot to talk about in Habs news really lately. Just some more Domi bullshit. Uh, The Domi saga continues as always. But before we get into that, because sadly we're going to have to talk about the fucking Domi saga. I just want to highlight. And I think we both do that. Our fundraiser has started. We have our own Habs nightly link with um we are partnered with the mo munchies podcast which um is a local new orleans food podcast you're actually friends with the guy who runs it if you want to explain more about that podcast because i personally haven't listened to it yet although you know it's on the list of things to do but you know really busy lately but if you want to explain more about that podcast please go ahead 
Yeah, no problem. Oh, dude, you said the podcast like seven times. I love it. I love, I love <laughs> promoting them like that. Um, but yeah, Mo Munchies uh, is a guy named Muhammad. I grew up with him. Um, I knew him before the storm. We went to Shamit Middle together. Uh, storm hit. He moved back. I moved back, still continued to chill, and I'm glad that he found something that he loved doing. Basically, he's just a foodie from New Orleans that loves to cook and loves to try just unique foods. I used to be the same way, kind of went vegetarian, vegan era, you know, so like I'm not doing as much extreme shit as him anymore. But he has a love for cuisine, and um, I'm just so proud that my friend has found something that he's, he's getting very well known to do, you know. We, we wanted to give back to the people of not just Lake Charles, but anyone affected by the damage of Hurricane Laura. And we were able to do so. And I'm happy that my friend Muhammad uh, wanted, wanted to join up with us because this is originally Mason's idea because this fucking young Canadian buck right here was just like, I want to make a difference. And me and my friend was like, you know what? We've been wanting to make a fucking difference too. So it really breaks down to Mason Dixon being the fucking Professor X to our X-Men that is helping out disaster victims. But uh, you can find Mo Munchies at Mo Munchies on Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook. And his podcast is more of a YouTube page, just like uh, someone we're about to talk about, which is Odd Man Rush soon and the likes of maybe, let's say, House of Hockey. He does a, a more of a video presentation where he shows you how to cook. He gives you reviews of shit. His reviews are funny. If you if you scroll back far enough, you can see me and him. I was I was guest featured on his episode about king cake because I'm fat and um, I love king cake. So we we tried a bunch of different king cakes blindfolded and it was a fucking disaster. But I loved it. You know, like it was only a disaster because I could not see. I tried to cut king cake, which is impossible. Um, it's too doughy. But enough about that. But we do want to give you guys the link. This is a good cause. If you can't give money, it would just be an absolute pleasure if you guys could just reshare it. Someone you reshare it. If you reshare it, someone will see it and possibly donate. We're already uh, $250 in, um, which is great. That's a lot more than I truthfully expected in two days. So, you know, I'm not patting anyone on the back, but I'm proud that we were able to do something like that. But the link is, folks. You can easily just type it in on your web browser, on your phone or whatever, but it is sbpdonate.fundraise.org slash fundraiser slash hope for the coast. That's a fucking mouthful. And um, I'm sorry about that. But if you just type in SBP fundraiser, hope for the coast, it should bring you to the right piece. If you check us out on Twitter, uh, also on my Instagram uh, at Bayou Benders. I also have a links to it there. Also at Mo Munchies as well. So if you guys are like this Cajun idiot, uh, I can't find it based off of what he said. Please go to one of our feeds and the link is fucking there. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, like we're very happy and you you misspoke, buddy. We got $350 in two days, which I think is Let's more, Let's more than we more than we thought we were going to get to um, in two days i i don't even know how much we really thought we were gonna get we just wanted to do something so yeah no we uh we kind of giggled because uh we couldn't create it without having a a total amount that we wanted to reach so we just put fucking zero because why not <laughs> you know like we don't have excuse me we don't have a total we're trying to reach we're just trying to you know make a difference so whatever we could get was what we could get you know so like putting a limit on to what we could do 
was dumb. So we saw that zero was an option. We fucking took it. So my audio just cut for a second, but yes, I, I heard everything you said. And, you know, I think we were just um, kind of winging it, to be honest, right off the start. I think the three of us all just kind of, we wanted to do something. We didn't know what we could do, but you know what? If Even if we don't raise a cent more, $350 is a lot of money and I'm, I'm happy. But if we can get anything more, you know, I just want to implore, you know, our listeners, our fans, if we have any, um, <laughs> please, please, please check this out. Consider donating. Even if you donate a dollar, it does make a difference. And, you know, I, I know the people who we are donating this to will appreciate it. And I think Corey and myself will appreciate it too. But on that, unless you have anything else to say on the, all I was going to say was my, sad catchphrase of absolutely because i have double tracked and i I say absolutely at least four or five times a podcast uh so yeah i was just gonna say that and i don't know why that's my go-to word but it is i don't say it a lot in fucking public but on this podcast i say it too much (laughs) well you know that's absolutely fine Corey. i'm gonna put it on a shirt (laughs) well um I don't really want to talk about it because I think it's just a little bullshit, but uh, I think we have to discuss Domi, don't we? Hmm. Yep. Uh, Cause that's literally we, we folks, I know you're up to date on Habs content. Uh, so they're the only two stories is Jake Allen and, and Max Domi. And uh, as much as I love Max Domi, um, it's getting like a fucking Dragon Ball Z episode length of shit. Every day, it's just like a one-word sentence added more to this evolving non-trade because it's not—he's not, not going to get fucking traded. So it's just—it's just they're just teeing up this guy to be the focal point as you know. Mark Bergevin sits in the back and just plots our way to fucking grab more people, you know. But I don't know. <laughs> he's where to, where scheming. To yeah, big big schemer, wild card himself. Um. I mean, the last we talked, what you know, we know that last conversation, he removed uh, any mention of the Canadians off of his social media. Um, but I mean, that's something that we, you know, we saw. We said it. Johnny Goudreau did it. It's just something you do, I guess, to help free agency. It, it, I, I don't, I'm not. I'm not a hockey player. I don't know why this shit works. But this is something that they do. I'm sure it has something to do with uh, agents' approval. But. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he's got a new fucking agent. Yeah, apparently he didn't approve of his agent because now he's with um, fuck, Ferris? Uh, Harris, Darren, Darren, Darren Ferris, Darren Ferris, and um, you know, if there is any cause for concern, I think it's purely with this guy. This is the same fucking dickhead who um, basically he just tells his players to sit. He told Neilander to sit. He told Marner to sit, and you know what? It got them paid. So players might love him, but as a fan, as a GM, as a coach, as anyone in front office, even as a teammate, Darren Ferris is an issue. <laughs> he'll he'll tell his players to sit the whole fucking season. He he's just that that's his that's his play. Um, the only thing that concerns me is I don't know if that works against a GM like Mark Bergevin, because if we know <laughs> anything about Mark Bergevin, he's not going to get backed into a corner. He's going to back you into a corner, but he, he's not getting trapped and he won't make a move under pressure. 
So it'll be really interesting to see what goes on with contract negotiations, um, trade rumors, et cetera. But what I really want to talk about, and you brought it up because I think it's the only real news that has any validity, anything that we can kind of look at and say, yeah, that's actually, you know, there's some substance to this. We can talk about it. And that's the acquisition of Jake Allen. Um, you know, kind of broke Twitter, hockey Twitter. Cause it I broke just think my heart. what, that's what it broke my fucking heart. <laughs> Why did it break your heart? Because, Oh my God, man, we paid for this guy and he did great. You know, his current salary is a fucking five, two. And we could have had a two, five and a guy who's now on his way to the fucking conference finals. We just could have waited a little longer. I'm excited. I'm excited about Jake Allen. It does not help that I was so pro fucking Hudobin. And now that's taken from me, you know, but <laughs> you know, it was, it was because of Tom Franklin. Thank you, Tom Franklin, who broke it down and said that this man, despite Tom nagging and, and breaking him, that he did have a, a, a pretty good season. So I'm excited to have someone like Jake Allen on the back end. I'm just afraid that we now have $16 million tied up um, and just goalies. Okay. So I am going to break that down for you and I'm going to totally break your fear. Okay. Ready? Unfear me, son. Montreal will be spending, I think it's 50 around $15 million in goalies next year. Yes, you're correct. Jake Allen has a contract and an AAV hit of, I believe, and let me look it up just to make sure that I am not bullshitting $4.2 million. Now, that's, you know, that's not great. But um, if you look at the goaltending tandem in Boston, which was Halak and Tukarask, they made around $12 million a year. So Montreal is only spending around $3 million more. On the other side of that, if you look at who Montreal has to sign this year, it's actually not that bad. With Jake Allen, Montreal still has roughly $16 million in cap space. 16 to $17 million in cap space. Um, they're going to have to use that to sign guys like Domi. Um, I don't, th- I think Deneau's contract year is next year. All the big contract years are next season. And I don't, wow, I feel really unprepared. I had the list before, but I don't at the moment. Essentially, Montreal just has to sign a bunch of depth guys this year. Jake Allen's contract only lasts for one more season. It'll, after the end of this upcoming season, his contract is over. And that's when we have to sign guys like Jeff Petrie, Philip Deneau, Brendan Gallagher. So when you really look at this trade deal for what it is and what we got from it, it already looks beneficial. Well, if you look into where we got that third round draft pick, that third round draft pick we acquired from the Washington Capitals. We acquired this from the Washington Capitals by trading them Ilya Kovalchuk. We got Ilya Kovalchuk through free agent acquisition and we paid him minimum. I think it was like whatever the veteran minimum is for the year. We And then there was salary retained. We essentially got Jake Allen for free. If you really look at it, and I know I just gave a long speech and there was a shit ton of just information thrown at you. It was the back nine. It's okay, bud. Mark. Yeah. Mark Bergevin got one of the – who, which a player who has performed at a rate of 
one of the best backup goalies in hockey this year with a 0.927 save percentage with two shutouts in 24 games played for free. How I, I don't see how this is a bad move whatsoever. I don't see how this hurts us at all. If anything, I think we should be sitting back and applauding because Mark Bergevin did what he does. He won a trade. He does not lose trades, and he's just done it again. It just hurts, okay, because I thought I was going to <laughs> You're break. You're still going to argue that. <laughs> I thought I was going to break the internet, okay? I thought I was going to be the bearded Jesus for Montreal, and I could put it on a T-shirt that I was the one who said it. No, I don't, it's fine. No, I'm, I'm okay with this. You're, you um, know me with my Norlander <laughs> prediction. Uh, yeah, no. Um, but, I mean, look, <coughs> Lord Jesus. Uh, we saw what Kerry Price can do if he gets a little break, and it looks like Jake Allen is going to get at least 20-plus fucking games this year, and hopefully he can hold his own and, and be worth it in my eyes. I'm happy with him, but – fucking contract number just hurts just a tinge just a tinge but i think that he's well enough capable of holding his own and being our backup and hopefully just a little bit better than a backup you know maybe just completing that tandem tangent process for us our tandems god damn it Corey. um <laughs> but i'm excited now you know um i i was able to put that hadoben shit behind me um maybe 20 percent of that but I'm excited. You know, we have a backup goalie that his name is familiar, and I guess that's silly. But with this familiar name, you go and look at his stats, and they're not fucking bad, you know. So, I mean, this year was his best fucking year playing, you know, and his only, you know, game started 21 games. But at a point, uh, nine two seven, that's fucking great. That's great for us. That That's a good outlook for us. So, I can't be anything but impressed and excited to have this man suit up with us and help share the fucking net with, with Carey Price. Oh, for sure. And I just think Carey Price has proven in this run in the playoffs slash plans that Montreal had that when he's rested, he can still be the best goalie on planet Earth. Jake Allen's going to provide him the opportunity to have some rest for once. I just think that Montreal could easily be competing next year. The way their players have grown and just the progress we've seen with the youth guys, with the acquisitions Bergman has had, with the cap space they have, they're going to compete next year. I think in the year after, in the penultimate year, they're going to be amazing. We're going we're gonna to have a legitimate Montreal Canadiens competitor in at least two years. And I think it's an even more interesting scenario now because Charlie Lindgren's gone. You know, that guy's looking, looking at this. He's the only person who hates this deal because it just means effectively his career in Montreal is dead. But not only do we have Charlie Lindgren, we just signed Vasily Demchenko, a Russian goalie from the KHL. Um, Michael McNiven we have, and Caden Primo. If I had to make a prediction, I would say we trade Lindgren cut McNiven and we have Vasily and Primo in the AHL next year. That would be what I would guess, but there are tons of options that Montreal and Mark Bergevin could go with now. And that flexibility is just a great asset to have. I could, I could say that I'm mad. I am fucking mad, but I am excited about a Jake Allen uh, deal. Uh, this is fucking great. 
You know, it's it's not like having two fucking starters like some of these lucky shits have in this uh in this league. But this he is was a, a starter. Yeah, I, and actually his his easily his two years that he was a starter, seventeen and eighteen series, uh years, uh pretty damn good, you know. He uh an average year for a goalie and then his first year in seventeen point nine one five, that's pretty fucking good. I don't know. I guess I'm just I'm just being a heartbroken little shit right now. But Jake Allen is <laughs> such a great pickup. I'm excited. Uh, Tom, I'm sorry he couldn't do what you wanted him to do in St. Louis, but it didn't look like Bennington was doing it either. So I feel like eh, we kind of lucked out, you know. Yeah, I think um, Bennington's definitely. You know, they couldn't get rid of Bennington and keep. No, Allen. no, no. I don't. I don't mean in that sense. I meant that like the goalies both didn't play up to what they expected. So they were okay with giving away Jake Allen because of their problems with wanting to keep, I'm guessing, uh, Petrangelo. So if Jake Allen became available because they didn't have faith, so be it. This dude plays rather well hockey, you know, like. Yeah, fair enough. I, I have no I, – I can't argue that. I think Bergevin just once again capitalized on another team's weakness. Or maybe strength. You never know. How are you feeling? He cap. He smelled blood, took the shot, and got stronger because of it. And it just seems to be his his strength is trading. And I don't think he's done. I think Bergevin's going to make another move. I think Montreal is going to see a new left-handed defenseman. Whether that's a star player, whether that's a depth guy, there's going to be another left-handed defenseman in Montreal next year. Mark my words on that. Noting, noting right now at 4.07 p.m. Central. (laughs) On that note, there is a left-handed defenseman that we have loved to talk about, and I have personally. Is it Tory Krug? No. (laughs) Oh, God. No, don't get me fucking started on Tory Krug. Tory Krug's not coming to Montreal. Why are people fanboying over a fucking Boston Bruin who spent his whole career in the most fucking safety net fucking system any defenseman could have? Jesus Christ, Tory Krug's good, but he's not a fucking savior. Sorry, you, you pinched a nerve there. I get it. I get it. I'm like the opposite of a fucking uh, masseuse, bro. I'm just there to fucking <laughs> prod. <laughs> no, but um, he goes by the name of Matthias Norlander. And unfortunately, you were unable to make my talk with Odd Man Rush. Which I'm fucking jealous about it. Before, but <laughs> I'm, I'm jealous. I've been wanting to talk to this guy since I since I watched uh, it, fucking it. His his video for fucking it's like blood something hockey, guy's fucking amazing. I would definitely uh, as a fan I would check out Odd Man Rush on YouTube. He's got really great fucking videos as far as playing like uh, hockey games. <laughs> he just makes very fun to watch. But uh, I was definitely jealous. She got to talk to him, and I wasn't at this. I'm excited to hear what you guys learned. You know what you learned from our man over the pond. You know across the pond. Yeah, for sure. And um, on that note, I think we'll just jump into it. I I had a great time talking to him and we have some footage that we recorded. I recorded with him two days ago. We're recording this Sunday. So this is on the Friday. And um, honestly, we just had a great talk. We started off talking about Norlander near the end of it. It's about an hour of footage. So or audio. So it's it's a long fucking chunk of this episode. 
Um, near the end, we start talking about some more your broadly European topics, but for the most part, at the very start, if you're just interested in Habs stuff, the very start is just all Habs prospects, all Habs related. So if that's all you're interested in, although I do implore you to listen to the rest because, like I said, um, just a great hockey mind, absolute delight to talk to. And um, yeah, so without further ado, we'll probably play that right here. Yeah, let's get into it. I am Mason Dixon. Corey is not with us right now, but he'll be on later in the episode. I am joined by Odd Man Rush, Hayden, host of the Euro Podcast and Brits on Bruins of the Hockey Podcast Network. Also, he has a YouTube channel, Odd Man Rush, on YouTube with, I believe, just over 20,000 subscribers. Is that right? Yeah, we're getting close to 25 now. I'm, I'm quite impressed with how well I'm doing. I've had a few videos that have blown up recently, so I'm like, you know, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we're really happy to have you on. Um, you can provide a great insight into European hockey, and, you know, we're just excited. I, well, I am. Corey was too, but he can't join us, sadly. But uh, excited to talk and, you know, go over some European hockey stuff with you, bud. Yeah, thanks for having me. I mean, uh, I, I've mentioned this on some of the other podcasts I've done this week. I've kind of done a bit of a tour of duty on some of the – shows on the network that I probably should have done while I was just doing the Boston podcast. But um, obviously with the time difference, it's a bit difficult to kind of find a, a good time that it's not like three o'clock in the morning for me, or it's not like super early for everyone <laughs> yeah. else. So when anybody's like, oh, I can do it slightly earlier today, I'm like, I'll take that in a heartbeat. Like you need a guest, I'm right here, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, you know, I've apologized to you behind the scenes, but once again, sorry for missing our initial uh, no worries, time. Man. No worries, stuff came These up, things but... happen, you know? These things happen. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, we got that out of the way, so why don't we just jump right in? Like, um, we've talked behind the scenes, and I've talked on this podcast, on Twitter. I've been, you know, just pumping the tires on this guy all the time. When we, when I reached out to you, I said the one thing I really want to talk about, I don't care what else we talk about, got to talk about Matthias Norlander. So, like, because, man, I am just so sold on this guy. And then after we talked, he scored a hat trick for Ferlunda in his debut, and I just, <laughs> I fucking lost my mind. <laughs> yeah i mean i mean norlander he's looking like he could put himself into a position especially this season where he could have a breakout season and get a lot of habs fans more so than just you excited about <laughs> the kind of skill that he's got to show that looking at kind of i've got his stats up here on elite prospects which if you guys don't use elite prospects and you want to know about like european hockey players or just prospects it's a really good website even for guys that have like left the nhl and are now into coaching they do a really good job of like showing um the different like uh, team jobs they've had as well like for my videos on on youtube it's been an absolute like vital source of information but um in terms of like where, where norlinder's looking at the moment this is kind of his first big year in in with, with the big boys essentially he's he's never played in the swedish hockey league before which for some of you that may not know, the Swedish Hockey League, uh, Chris and I on the Europuck podcast on the network, our first episode, we ranked where we thought all of the top, or our top 10 European leagues. We had the Swedish Hockey League at a very firm second. We put the KHL slightly above because they have some Russian teams in the KHL which just dominate. But if we're talking all the other teams and all the other leagues except Russia, the Swedish Hockey League is hands down the best. I mean... If you're wanting to get excited about a player like Norlinder and you're wanting him to succeed and kind of grow into the player that some people might expect him to, going to a team like Frölunda in Sweden is the best place that he could possibly go. Uh, I mean, he played in the Hockey Allsvenskan last year, which is the second tier league. It's kind of like the AHL of Sweden. 
Um, he was a point kind of every two games kind of player, which for a 19-year-old is a pretty impressive feat to do. I, I feel like with, with stuff like this, it's really important to mention to, especially the North American audience that's used to, especially in uh, Quebec, the QMJHL or the Ontario Hockey League, the Western Hockey League, everything like that. Those guys are playing against 16 to 20-year-olds, whereas guys like Norlinder, especially in the Olsvenska, now definitely in the SHL, he's playing against guys that might not be good enough for the NHL, but are right up there as some of the best hockey players in the world. And he's playing up against guys that have played two, three, four hundred games in the NHL that have then gone back to the SHL because their careers might be on sort of the a downward trend. But in terms of where he's playing and the kind of player that he's projected to be, this is going to be a big year to kind of figure out what type of player Norlinder is. And I, I can see why you, Mason, and other Habs fans are super excited <laughs> to see what he becomes, you know? Yeah, for sure. And for Lunda, like you mentioned, is just a phenomenally historic club in that league and I believe like Eric Carlson's an alumni Henrik Lundqvist um didn't Deline Deline was for Lunda too I believe like there I think so I'll check that for you I believe he was uh, most of the NHL guys that come over uh Frolunda is a team that play for yeah yeah uh, Darlene yeah. also did play for Frolunda and also it's important to mention uh Henrik Lundqvist's twin Joel Lundqvist he's been playing there for the last 10 years he's been the captain of the team and uh, he's helped the team win the Champions Hockey League which is if you think of the, the best example to give is the um, Champions League in football or soccer if you are in North America it's kind of like that but for hockey you know like a team or a couple of teams from every single European league except for Russia the KHL does not take part in the Champions Hockey League but pretty much every other league in Europe does you get like five teams from Sweden five teams from Switzerland four teams from Finland etc cetera, etc cetera. Uh, us over here in the UK we get a team or two every year which we're really happy about um, but we've Chris and I are my co-host have essentially renamed it to the Frölunda Cup because, I mean, the, the championships have been running six years, and they've won it four of the six years. Oh, and geez. Joel Lundqvist has been picking up that trophy pretty much every year. So, yeah, Frölunda's a good hockey team, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that can only make Habs fans happy and Habs mm. scouting directors happy because, you know, they know that Norlander's going to be taken care of under the best supervision with a world-class organization that knows how to pump out talent, knows how to win championships, and you know, talent is important, but we've seen with teams like, you know, Edmonton, you can draft talented guys, but if you don't know how to develop them and they're not in a winning organization, they're for the most part, not going to turn out very well. Oh, definitely. And I, I think it's important to just another sort of stat that I've, I've read as I've been going through elite prospects. Um, Norlinder last season was named as like the best junior player in the Old Svenskun. So like, if you want another reason to get hype about this kid, oh really? He's, I didn't he's, even know he's that. Been recognised as like the best junior, whether that means rookie or whether that means like under a certain age. I'm not entirely sure. I'm not too keyed up with the Old Svenskun in terms of all of their awards and everything. But yeah, I mean, he's coming with a lot of hype. Obviously, whether he lives up to that hype, I the one thing I would say to Habs fans, I would I would uh, preach patience especially because he's a defenseman, you know, that those guys take a few extra years mm -hmm. to, to develop their game, kind of mature their overall game. He's 20 years old. So, you know, like he's, he's still got several years on him before he needs to be at that point where it's like a now or never situation. Do I think he'll be in North America sooner rather than later? I'm not too sure. This might be more of a kind of two, three year project with a guy like Norlinder. 
but because he's a defenseman, you'd rather take three years of him developing for then a five to ten year NHL career instead of rush him right to the bigs and then him flop on his head, right? Oh, for sure. And that is, if if I have any concerns about Norlander, that would be it because mm. you know, Montreal, just as a marketplace, you know, I'm not gonna lie and say that it's it's calm. It's it's a hotbed. It's you know, yes. if you, there's Toronto that might be worse, and then Montreal. And yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. And Norlander is not only a really hype prospect for Habs fans and Habs head office, but he's also a left-handed defenseman, which is our biggest area of need. So if there's mm-hmm. any concern I would have, it would be with Norlander being rushed. But I do think that Habs fans can take solace in the fact that Mark Bergevin, you know, has made some deals that at the time I lost my mind about, but almost all of them have turned out to work. So I have my faith in him. And I do think that, like you say, Norlander's not going to be here next year. No. We're going to have, we're going to have another European defenseman who I'm sure we're going to talk about Romanov. We could, we can be hype and we can drool over him. We're going to have to wait for Norlander. And I think that will be best for his development and best for the organization as a whole. Oh, definitely. And I think given the, the situation that the Habs are in at the moment, obviously, free agency coming up and there's been obviously a lot of talk about certain players maybe leaving the organization are they going to be traded are they going to be signed like what's going on that the Habs are in a in a kind of unique situation compared to some of the other teams because they've got a lot of draft picks they've got a lot of up-and-coming prospects they've also got some guys that have broken out over the last couple of years and been like look we can be legitimate productive roster players on this team if you give us the chance, which you did, where they might have not had the chance elsewhere. So it's kind of, I wouldn't say it's so much of a rebuild. Like a lot of teams like to use the word retool, but I think that's very much more where the Habs are at at the moment. They're retooling their roster. I kind of, given the fact that I followed the Bruins this year, I do kind of see a lot of similarities in, say, the Bruins back when they back in sort of 2013, 2014, 2015, you know, when they had like three straight first round picks. There was like 13th, 14th, 15th or something. You know, like when they've obviously got the guys like Bergeron, they've got Rask on the roster. Like they've got their veteran guys that help them win the Stanley Cup. However, they're also, because they haven't had a good season or two or they haven't quite lived up to what some people might see as their lofty expectations of the team, they're getting this opportunity to retool with some really high-value prospects. And Norlind is one of those guys, like Romanov, like some of the other guys in the system, they could lead the charge for this next this essentially this next generation of Montreal Canadiens players, which you hope can bring them a championship. It's been a little while, hasn't it? So, ninety-three, and you know yep. we're hoping, at least I am as a Canadian, that the Canucks can come through on this game seven, and mm, uh, yeah. you know maybe get maybe uh, break that streak for Canada. But I gotta say, I wouldn't be too hurt if Montreal was the team to do it in the next few years. And it's looking like our future is going to be pretty bright. Oh, for sure. And on that note, since we brought him up, um, I would be, you know, fans would be up in arms if I didn't talk about Romanov while I have someone who knows European hockey way better than me. Um, if you look at now, most house fans are like, I think way too sold on Romanov. And I'm not saying he's going to be, not be a star defenseman at his ceiling. I'm not saying he's going to be trash. I'm just saying, you know, me personally, and correct me if I'm wrong, when I look at his KHL stats, I understand it's a really hard league, but seven points in 43 games. Now, you correct me and jump in if I'm wrong, but I don't know if I see a lot of offensive upside in Romanov, and I don't know if he's overhyped. I don't know if he's underhyped because I'm going to be honest, I 
have yet to watch a single KHL game in my entire life. So I don't I, know. I would yeah. say, yeah, I would say the hardcore diehard Habs fans that are kind of, they're seeing the Rangers get Lafreniere. They're seeing Kaprizov come over for Minnesota, Sorokin come over for the New York Islanders. I'm not sure Romanov's in that same category yet. Could he get to that point? I think there's the potential to do so. The only thing I'd say is I, I think Mason, you bring up a really good point about his his overall production and he's played for CSKA Moscow. They are one of the best teams in the KHL. They are one of the best teams from top to bottom. They've obviously had the top goal scorer in the league in Kaprizov last year. I think he scored 33 goals in 40-something games, 50-something games, 52 games, I think. Um, they've had Ilya Sorokin, their star netminder. This team won a Gagarin Cup, which is the playoff championship for the KHL, basically their Stanley Cup. Um, he won a championship with them in 2019, which is the most recent uh, playoff run in the KHL to have happened because obviously this year got uh, stopped early. But CSKA Moscow is a very good team and a reason for that, you can kind of make the argument that Romanov might be a bit more of a product of the system that he's in and people might be hyped because he's coming from that same team as those other two players are. I do think he's going to be a very solid player. I think he's going to, if everything goes right, he's going to be a solid NHL player. I, I don't want to temper fan expectations too much to be like, oh, he's going to be a bust. He's going to be terrible. <laughs> yeah. But kind of similar to Norlander, but in a different context, with a lot of these European prospects, preach patience all the time. I know there comes a point where you look at a player and go, oh, he's 23-24. He still hasn't produced. We can't wait much longer. I, I understand that argument, but... Romanov's 20. Like, he's 20 years old. He's kind of 20 and a half years old now. He's closer to 21 than he is 20. But next year, when the season starts, whenever that is, he'll be in his early 20s. His production isn't great. I mean, if you want to be exact, in the 86 games he's played in the KHL over the last two seasons, he scored one goal. So if you want to look at that and kind of be a bit worried. Essentially, what I'm doing here, Habs fans, is I, I want to... I want you guys to make sure you take everything you see with a pinch of salt and manage your expectations. I, I do think he's going to be a solid player. I think if he could be a solid kind of top four defenseman, then the Habs would be happy uh, if that's what he turns out to be. If he could kind of produce 20, 30 points a year, I think people would be happy with that production. Um, if he turned into a top two defenseman, then I, I think Habs fans might might kind of collapse in excitement, you know, but it is, it's, it's one of those situations where you've got to be patient with a guy like this. I've mentioned this on several of the other podcasts that I've been on over the last, uh, over the last week or so. This is a guy that probably doesn't know any English that's 20 years old. That's moving from his home country to come <laughs> and play for Montreal. One of the most diehard dedicated fans. I've been to Montreal the last two summers. I know how dedicated Montreal and Quebecers are about hockey and I love it over here in England we don't have that and I love the fact that I can kind of soak that all up for a few months in the summer and then come home again but it's one of those situations where he's he's gonna have he's gonna take time to adjust there's gonna be an adjustment period expect him to have a bit of a slow start in the NHL if he doesn't have a slow start then great obviously like if he has a great start then brilliant let's hope it keeps going but it, he's he's one of those players that similar to a lot of kind of highly touted players and prospects that come especially from the KHL or overseas it's a much different scenario for them and and kind of the the uh comparison I could make for North Americans is we're seeing a lot of North American players move over to Europe 
because obviously the NHL season isn't starting till December, January, February, and they want to get some playing time before they come back to the NHL or North America when their seasons are obviously starting really late. Because the European seasons are all kicking off now. The KHL, their season's begun. Like they, they started on Wednesdays, two days old at the time of this recording. So hockey's being played. Um, and it's kind of the same as a North American going over to Finland and not knowing the language, don't speak Finnish. English is few and far between, kind of hard to come by. It's going to take time to adjust, right? So you've got to, you've got to kind of give them the benefit of the doubt when they first get here. That it's going to take a bit of time to kind of get used to the ice surface and the system that they're playing in. He's obviously not the most productive guy, but I think he could build that part of his game once he's comfortable in the NHL. Similar to Norlander and, and kind of similar to some of the other prospects that the Habs have got at the moment, especially from overseas, patience. Like, don't expect the world of them too early because otherwise you're just setting yourself up to be disappointed. Oh, definitely. And I see, yeah. just to play, because I think you've hit it right on the nail there and kind of my thoughts, like, obviously you have a more of a expertise into European prospects, European players, because you see them a lot more than I do. But I think to play devil's advocate, as, you know, a lot of Habs fans are going to say, well, he put up eight points in seven games in the world champion world juniors. And then he did six and seven the next year. So I think what you're saying is kind of true in the fact that he might be able to develop this offensive game and, you know, he might come out guns a blazing, but don't expect that because especially like you say, with European born players, the ice is different and you have a language barrier and you're not yeah. used to the pace of the hockey and you're in a hotbed like Montreal. There are a lot of factors against yeah. Romanov. And and I think also factor in that you're playing against the best hockey players on the planet. Like, it, it, you can't really ask much more of a player to go, look, we're going to take you from the second best league in the world where you've scored seven points in 43 games the last season. We're going to put you into the Montreal Canadiens lineup where you're playing the Stanley Cup champion one night who <laughs> have been crowned the best team in the in the hockey world out of every single team. And we need you to be a 20-goal scorer. Like, it's not, it's not going to happen overnight, is it? And it's interesting that you bring up the fact his international stats, because the, the last season, the 1920 season, he scored six points in seven games in the World Junior Championships. He also played several other international tournaments with the juniors. He scored eight points in 15 games. That comes with the caveat he's playing against under-20-year-olds. So he's putting up those points. Those are the kind of points you'd expect if he was playing in the Canadian Hockey League in the major junior system overseas. Like, so you can see that against players his own age, he's a point-per-game guy, point-every-two-game guy. He's a productive player. So you're hoping, okay, within the right system, provided he's not, um, provided he's, he's managed well and expectations are tempered and he doesn't kind of overthink the game too much, that's what you'd expect him to get at some point in his career. But you could also make the argument, how many point-per-game guys have we seen in the major junior system not pan out in the NHL? It's just a completely different game, especially for a defenseman. I think, obviously, you want him to be a good two-way defenseman, a good point producer. But at the end of the day, if he's reliable in his own zone and stops goals going in, that's what you need to ask for the most from a guy like Romanov, especially in his first season. Let him get his feet under him. Um there's there's a lot of kind of debate about the 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 size of the ice surface in um european leagues a lot of european leagues use the international ice surface or olympic ice surface which is smaller or bigger sorry than the nhl surface which it's not by much but you know hockey's a, a split second kind of game if you have that extra bit of ice you have extra time to make that play so if you're in the nhl 
you don't have that extra ice the, uh, one second could be the difference between an outlet pass out of your zone and the puck being in the back of your net. So it takes time to adjust to that smaller ice surface. What I will say, though, is I'm not 100% sure if uh, CSKA Moscow have done this, but a lot of KHL teams, I know SKA St. Petersburg, who are the team that I follow in the KHL more specifically than the rest of the league, um, a lot of teams are now starting to make their rinks more NHL-sized, whether that's to kind of make them make it easier for players to make the jump over or because it makes the game a little bit more fast-paced and more competitive. I'm not quite sure what the what the reasoning is behind that, but that's something to keep in mind. It's not just a cut-and-dry situation that all international ice rinks use, the international or Olympic ice rink sizes. So it might be a case of the last two years, Romanov's actually been playing on NHL-sized ice and these are the numbers he's produced. So you could take that as a, a negative of, oh, okay, so he's playing at the kind of speed and level that we want but he's not been productive or you could argue oh so for the last two years he's been refining his game in this kind of style in this in this size rink so another year of that and he should be better than he was the two years before you know yeah it's a double-edged sword yeah and just on that note because you, you bring up a good point with the under 20 you know the world juniors you're playing with players who are your age or a year younger around your age, you know, they should be around your skill level. And if you're producing better than them, that means that, you know, could be an indication that you're slightly ahead of the curve. So mm. you think that's why you have scouting analysts from like TSN. And I understand it's probably harder for you to get TSN and Sportsnet, but a guy like Craig Button and Bob McKenzie, who are big names mm. in hockey, big yeah. names in the scouting scene, raving about Romanov saying he's arguably the best defensive prospect in hockey or he's number two you know he's at least top five do you think that's why they have situated him so highly despite the fact that he has like you said one goal in 86 games in the KHL I I think that's a big reason for it the fact that he's playing well against his own um, his own age group. I, I will give credit where credit is due to Romanov and guys like Craig Button and Bob McKenzie who do sing the praises of Romanov. I think he is worth singing those praises because you've got to keep in mind also, yeah, he, he's, he's not a point-per-game guy in the KHL. The KHL is the second-best league in the world <laughs> and he's playing against former NHLers. Like, there's going to be one night at some point in the schedule where he's playing against a 40-year-old Pavel Datsuk. Like, Datsuk is still playing. He's playing against um, Sergei Plotnikov, who's playing for Metalurg Magnitogorsk, Glyndon Vey. Obviously, a lot of these guys are kind of what either journeyman NHLers or didn't quite make it to the NHL for an, a sustained period of time. But there was one point in their careers where they were considered one of the best players in the world. You're, and you're also going up against other Russian players that we've seen Russia take gold medals. Like, they're, they're a perfectly capable hockey nation they know how to carve out solid hockey players as we've seen with the russian influence in the nhl over the last sort of 50 60 years or so but yeah it's one of those things where you've got to look at a guy like romanov i can see why the hype is around him but you've got to also remember that craig button and bob mckenzie are talking about over his entire career not right now like you've got to make that differentiation in my opinion of he's going to be like the reason he's ranked so high on these boards is, is because he's going to be a fantastic, incredible NHL caliber player, but he's still 20 years old. He's not quite there yet. And you know what? That's okay. That's not, that's not a knock on him. Like I was just having a chat with the New Jersey Devils um, uh, guys on, on their podcast. And we were talking about Jack Hughes, for example, and everybody kind of wanted to call him a bust because he didn't have the best season. Like him, Capo Kako and Kirby Dak, that's, they have the seasons that everybody expected them to have. 
they aren't Connor McDavid or Austin Matthews. We all knew that when we were going into the into the draft. Like, just because they didn't score a point per game over the entire season doesn't mean they're busts. And like, they're 18, 19 year old kids. Like, look at Andrei Sveshnikov recently. Look at how well he's bounced from his rookie season to his sophomore season in the league, where he's become one of the Carolina Hurricanes' most reliable players. You could argue that those three players are kind of Sveshnikov-esque in that sense, because, you know, get another season under their belt. They know how to play the game now. They're obviously insanely talented. I feel like that could be a similar situation with Romanov, you know? Give him year two, year three in the Montreal Canadian system. That's when you're going to see him start to break out. Yeah, definitely. I think with Romanov and with any prospect especially, but with one of the high-caliber profile and just the hype that he's received because Montreal fans are who they are because it's a media, (laughs) you know, it's a hockey media hotbed. It's just, yeah, it's insane. And the fact that he shoots left on D, I just think that this kid is going to go up against a tremendous amount of pressure, but I do think, you know, just closing kind of on Romanov so we can kind of get onto some other subjects. I do think that, you know, you mentioned that, you know, his junior stats playing for Russia in total, what was it, six points? And how many yeah, points? Yeah, so the, uh, the World Junior under-20s was six points in seven games. Then he also played uh, 15 other international games with the Russia under-20 team. He got eight points in 15 games there. Yeah, so to see the, sig- the jump in points per game, you know, under the spotlight, in the limelight, you know, you are under the bright lights of the entire world and your country cheering for you. Romanov's shown that he can step up. So, you know, maybe that's a sign that this pressure isn't going to get to him and maybe we can take some comfort in that. But moving on to some other, you know, some other topics and, you know, some other players, because I think everyone and their uncle is talking about Romanov in Montreal and, you know, <laughs> we want to be a little bit different. Um, you, you and I were talking about Montreal's draft position. So they're drafting in the 16th overall selection in the NHL entry draft. And there are some interesting european prospects in that position now i don't know if you have any that you were kind of highlighting i have one who i don't know a tremendous amount about but if if you have anyone you want to discuss or who, who, I, who was the one who was the one you were thinking of noel gunler noel gunler i'll take a look at him and see what i think because because i've got to be honest um we get over here in the uk we get like a good sense of um sort of the top five top ten maybe top 15 and obviously the Habs are kind of drafting just underneath that so, <laughs> yeah uh, yeah it's it's it, it's tough to kind of get a good idea and obviously we're talking about the entire hockey world here so obviously we know about the Lafreniere's we know about the Byfields we know about the Stutzlers but uh, a guy like Noel Gunner I've got his stats up here I mean he's been playing in the SHL this last season so that's a good that's a good sign um, he's ranked pretty high in terms of a lot of places um, everywhere except um, everywhere except Craig Button and McKenzie's rankings have him sort of uh, sort of 18th to 22nd. Um, uh, Craig Button has him ranked 45th, and McKenzie has him ranked 28th. Um, I I would in I like the fact that he played with uh, Lulia of the Swedish Hockey League. He spent the majority of the season with their pro team, like with their adult. Swedish Hockey League team. He wasn't playing in the juniors or the minors or anything like that. Um, he played uh, in the 18-19 season. He played for the Swedish under-18 team, had five points in eight games. So he's he's been productive on the international level. He's six foot two, 174 pounds. Like that's a pretty good player. Like, you know, 
six foot two. You want a good guy with size. You know, you might need to put a little bit more weight on him. I, I'm not a draft expert, so that might be <laughs> wrong. But I, I feel like get get a few more pounds on him so he can kind of push that six foot two frame around a little bit more. I think. I think uh, uh, NHL teams would be very happy about that. But that comes obviously with maturing and growing into your own body. He's an 18-year-old, you know, like he's got plenty of time to develop. Um, he, he scored six points in four games to start the year with the under-20 team. And obviously Lulia thought, you know what, he's good enough to play in the bigs now. And he had 13 points in 45 games with a plus 12. That's a really good thing to keep in mind, actually. He might not have been the most productive player, but he was on the ice for more goals than against. For an 18-year-old kid, that's a good thing to see. Um, I've I've mentioned this on several other podcasts, and we've obviously talked about it a little bit here as well. Sure, he only scored 13 points in 45 games. Once again, he's an 18-year-old playing against some of the best hockey players in the world. So, sure, on the surface, it doesn't look great, but you could kind of say... Look at the OHL, for example. There's loads of guys there that rack up points against 16 to 20-year-olds. Sure, they're showing that they can put the puck in the back of the net, and that's a really important stat. But when they come against AHL guys, NHL guys, they kind of struggle to get the game going because they're not used to being hit along the boards by a 220-pound, six-foot-four hockey player that's, you know, a future Hall of Famer, you know? But you compare that to guys over in Europe, yeah, it's not quite the same. Uh, that there's less of a reliance on these European guys to be point per game guys in their teenage years. If they are, then of course they're going to be drafted super, super high in the draft. But 13 points in 45 games is nothing to to laugh at in the Swedish Hockey League, especially as an 18 year old. You know that that's an impressive stat to have, and you can kind of see why he's ranked so high, given the fact that sure he wasn't a point every two games, more a point every three games, but he's a plus 12. He's He's playing in the Swedish Hockey League. He's playing against some of the best players in the world. That's an, an, an achievement in anything, regardless of where he goes in the draft. But if you're wanting to look at guys that Montreal might be interested in picking up, I would not be surprised if they took a chance on this guy. He looks like he could be a solid player. Yeah, and I find it interesting that you pointed out that he played for Lulia because I was actually going to ask, just because I noticed he played in the SHL. And as a young player, you know, I've noticed with a lot of Swedish players, born prospects or finish if they're playing in the Swedish kind of leagues they're not usually playing in the SHL right away and now you seem to confirm that and I don't want to overstep so you're saying that's a really good thing to see that he's playing for Lulia right away as an 18 year old I mean he also played in for Lulia for a 15 game stint as a 17 year old as well so and he scored five points in 15 games in that stretch so obviously the the Lulia staff see him as a pretty pretty good player for them and is an emerging star like you don't get to play on an on an shl swedish hockey league roster for 15 games if you're not considered a good hockey player uh just for context like the shl i've met i think i mentioned it already on the show ranked them like the second best european league if we were talking about like in the world like with the nhl the ahl included i would put them top four top five so you've got a guy that's playing against essentially the top four fourth or fifth league in the entire hockey world and he's putting up 13 points in 45 games as an 18 year old if you uh, for his total points he's got uh, 18 points in 60 total games in the shl over the last two years those are some really really impressive numbers uh, obviously 
that is why he's one of the top prospects for the 2020 NHL draft. And I think any team that picks him up will not complain too much, especially because he's looking to kind of be a middle to late first round pick. You could do far worse with a middle to late first round pick if you ask me. I, I very much like that a lot of European guys that aren't necessarily the most productive as teenagers in some of these best European leagues are getting the recognition they deserve in the NHL draft. Because I think a lot of North Americans that don't keep an eye on European leagues, which obviously there's, there's only so much hockey some people can take. It's not like a knock on anybody for not doing <laughs> that. But, you know, you, the average fan will see the stats that you put. So I was like, oh, that's not good. We could have got like a good old Canadian boy from the Ontario Hockey League that's put up like 50 goals in a season or like had a 20 goal season, gone a point per game. Like, obviously they're in completely different scenarios, but I wouldn't say that the good old Canadian boys are better just because they've scored more points against teenagers than the guys that have kind of found their way against men. Like if you're wanting somebody that knows what it takes to play against some of the best players in the world, a guy like Gunla in, in the middle of the first round, you're not really going to complain with that. No, for sure. I think um, maybe if you could just put it into context too, because I think you make a really, really good point there. When you say best leagues in the world, you're saying that the SHL, you have that four or five in the entire hockey world. Where would you rank a league like the CHL, like the OHL, QMJHL? But we'll just, Ooh. for simplicity's sake, we'll say CHL. Where do you think yeah, you would put okay. that? See, obviously that comes with the huge caveat of the age groups that are being played in it. I Don't get me wrong, the CHL is very much up there. You obviously get some of, if not the best players around at the moment if not ever that have come through the chl system it's been the biggest producer of nhl talent for as long as the chl has been around so yeah the, the chl is going to be sort of in that conversation of top five because if, if in terms of like just leagues as opposed to major junior leagues i have the nhl first obviously i have the khl second I'd probably go the AHL third, if not the SHL. I want to give love to the AHL because I feel like they don't get a fair rap from some people. Because, you know, it's like, oh, it's the minor leagues. Like, who cares? But they're still a very good league in the world. Obviously, you're getting some of the future stars in the league that have to go through the system. So NHL, KHL, AHL. Then I'd go the, the Swedish Hockey League. Then the Finnish Liga is kind of my top five in the world. The Finnish Liga is a very good league. Like, don't sleep on the Finns. They are a solid, solid group of hockey players. We're seeing it now. Kapo Kako, Miro Heiskanen. Like, there's been Finnish players in the league for a very long time, obviously. But they just constantly keep producing solid NHL talent. It might only be one or two guys a year. But, you know, they're always there and they always become solid NHL players. And uh, I would probably rank the Canadian junior system somewhere there if we're talking just pure talent. I, I, it's, it's obviously very difficult to rank them in terms of they're not playing against men. They're playing against guys their own age. They're playing against yeah. teenagers that are still trying to figure out their stature, you know, trying to figure out how to play the game. Some of them don't have any aspirations of making it to the NHL or they're not expecting to. Whereas other guys, we could talk about like the British League, which is like my eighth highest league in Europe. <laughs> Like, they're semi-pro guys, but they're still pro guys, you know? Like, they're, I, you can't really discount the fact that those guys are in the major junior system, but at the same time, they're not playing against fully grown men. So it's really difficult to evaluate some of the talent, as we've seen with a lot of guys that tear it up in the OHL or the QMJHL, but then never make it to the NHL level, you know? It's difficult to make that adjustment. I'd probably put the CHL in terms of, like, raw talent. They've got to be up there. 
sort of like pretty much rivaling some of these European leagues, the KHL, something like that, if we're just talking on a pure talent perspective. Because, I mean, like I said, they've been the biggest producer of NHL talent since they've been around. There's obviously plenty of players that don't make it to the NHL, but you can make the same argument with the European leagues as well. So CHL is very talented, but I always want to make sure I people keep in mind the caveat of the European players might not put up as many points, but they're playing against men and professional hockey players that may have spent three, 400 games in the NHL themselves. Whereas the major junior system, they may be racking up the points and looking like, like future superstars, but they're doing it against players that own age group. So they're, they're playing against players that aren't necessarily as refined as some of those guys overseas. No, for sure. And I, I thank you for giving that kind of like comparison because I think it's one that we don't see or talk about enough is the comparison just between the European development and North American development leagues, because you make a good point. It was one I kind of wanted to talk about today. Anyway, the Finns put out NHL talent, like at a ratio we don't see for other countries. You, you talk about, you know, it might not be a lot, but it is there. They put out a tremendous amount of high, high end prospects who, you know, become future stars you brought up high skinny and you brought up Capo Caco, Patrick Line, you know, my team's very own Jesperi Kakinami or some players yeah, who have course. been really high profile, but you also get guys like Arturi Lekkonen, who is a solid third line winger. I'm trying to think of some other guys, but it's slipping through my, my brain right now. There are a bunch of Joel Armia, another one on our team. A bunch oh yeah. Of, he's been, he's been solid for the Habs since he came yes, over, isn't he? He's been really good for the Habs and it's just, you know, if you look at the population of Finland, I think it's like 7 million. I, I might be wrong. Sorry, Finnish people. I, I don't know <laughs> off the top of my head. But it's not very big. And they have, you know, consistently put out really good NHL talent. And I think that's a testament to how I do believe your, some European countries like Sweden and Finland are actually doing a better job at streamlining and producing better prospects than Canada has recently, just because I think at first it was a necessity. They needed to have these really good development programs to get players, you know, noticed to do well at championships, but now they're competing. Finland has done been a powerhouse in the world juniors the last few years. And I think it's almost something that Canada as a country and as a hockey nation could look to and maybe, start to think, hey, we could take something from them. Because I think Finland especially, I'm not going to diss on Sweden because they've done really well. But oh, yeah. Finland especially has been a country that I've looked at and gone, wow, their development is insane. Their prospects are so good. I mean, the, the two things I'd say about that is, first of all, it helps when you're a Scandinavian country and you see ice more often than water <laughs> a lot of yeah. the time. That, that's probably a big helper in terms of, helping get guys on skates and everything like that. So a testament to kind of the weather that they have is very helpful, especially the more north you go. Um, but the other thing I would say about that is, I, I think it also comes from the situation that these countries are in, kind of the way that their, their leagues are set up and the kind of general map of the hockey world. If you have a load of guys from Sweden and Finland that become solid hockey players, they don't have to make the move over to the NHL. They can stay in the SHL, the Finnish Liga, and they could have good, successful careers. This is one thing I mentioned on the, on the New Jersey podcast also recently. Just because you don't play in the NHL doesn't mean you haven't had a successful hockey career. Like, if, if you play your entire career in Sweden and Finland, you might make more money than you did if you went and spent a year or two over in the NHL and tried to crack the NHL. Now, is that the route that 
obviously there's going to be a lot of uh, European players that go, I want to play in the NHL. I want to play against the best of the best. And absolutely, like, why wouldn't you? But I, I guess there's kind of this sense of, I feel like there's this mentality within the North American hockey system that if you can't crack it in the NHL or the AHL, you're kind of considered a failure within the system. Where it's like, oh, you have to go overseas because you weren't good enough to be here. And then you go over, over to the Swiss National League or the German DEL or the KHL or the, or the Swedish Hockey League or the Finnish Liga and you go out and, and carve yourself a pretty good five, six-year career overseas and make yourself a decent amount of money. Like There are, there are teams that pay quite well for for former NHL talent overseas. Like they're, they're, I mean, the KHL, especially, for example, some of the bigger teams in the league, you could be on a one-year, $1 million contract in the NHL. You could go over for two years in the KHL and make far more money. Whether, whether it gets to you on time, that's been a big conversation <laughs> with some of these KHL teams because um, some of them do struggle financially, but the big hitters in the league, not a chance. They're, they're well-run organizations, well-established. They know what they're doing. But yeah, also like, you, you see a lot of these players and obviously with the kind of casual fan, it's like, oh, they had to go overseas because they weren't good enough. Whereas if you're from Sweden, you go back home, you're like, okay, I'm back home. I'm back home playing in a really solid league in the Swedish Hockey League, one of the best hockey leagues in the world. Let's carve myself out a pretty good career. I tried to crack the NHL, couldn't quite make it. You know, tried my best, wasn't quite good enough. Let's have a good career here. And I feel like there's less of a, less of a stigma around that in Europe because obviously you're coming from Europe going to North America whereas if you're from North America you're kind of having to leave home kind of considered somewhat of an outcast because you weren't good enough well yeah and I think you bring up a good point and we mentioned him earlier Joel Lungfist was drafted in the third round I believe to Dallas because I remember watching yeah. some sort of NHL doc on it and teams were saying they like Joel more than they liked Henrik mm. but you speak of Joel and even in that video, which was done by the NHL, they talked, he had a great, he's had, still having, I believe, I think he's still playing. Yeah, yeah he's still playing with Fulunda. Yeah, yeah, a great hockey career for one of the best will run hockey organizations in the world. And I don't think if you talk to Joel Lundqvist that he would say he was disappointed in his career. He played three years in the NHL, I think three for Dallas. I'm not sure. I think so. Exactly. Yeah, I'm just yeah. up his stats now, yeah. And now he because I have his SHL stats up right now. He's got 600 – wait, no, that was penalty. Sorry, 403 points in 727 games in the SHL. That is very solid because I – correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think point scoring is as high in the SHL as it is in the NHL either. He's had a very I, I, solid I, I, hockey I would, career. Yeah, I would, say, I would say obviously you get the big hitters with point-per-game careers and everything like that. I mean, Joel Lundqvist, when he was over in North America, he wasn't that kind of player either. Like, he's, he's, he's solid for like a point every two games, maybe slightly higher. He's never gone a point per game in his entire career, but then again, he hasn't needed to. The, the, it's, a good, it's a really good point you bring up, uh, uh, Joel uh, Lundqvist. Essentially, the way I'd look at it is what Henrik Lundqvist is to New York, Joel is to Fralunda. Like, yeah. he's been their captain for... Well, he's been the captain since he left Dallas in 2009. So he's been the captain for 11 years. Like, he's the heart and soul of that team. And one thing I will mention, he really turns it up in the playoffs. Like, the last couple of years, the 16-17 season, 12 points in 14 playoff games. The 18-19 season, 13 points in 16 playoff games. Like, uh, another year, 5 points in 6 playoff games, 5 points in 13 playoff games, 8 points in 14 playoff games. Like, he's a consistent producer for their team. He's a good player for them. He knows his role on that roster as well, which is really important. 
captain. He knows he's not supposed to be the top scoring guy. He knows he's not supposed to be the superstar. He's won four SHL championships and four Champions Hockey League trophies. He's, he's won eight trophies in his pro career, all with Frölunda. You know, like, like you, I, I completely agree with you. He's not going to look back on his career and be like, oh, I wish I played another two seasons <laughs> in the NHL, you know? Yeah. Like, like he's probably made, he's probably set for life financially with the money that he's made from the Swedish Hockey League. I would imagine he's never going to have to buy a beer in Frölunda for as long as he lives. Like the fans will have him covered for that. He'll retire as one of the one of, if not the greatest player in Frölunda HC history. You, you, you're not gonna, you're not gonna scoff at that. Like that's an incredibly impressive career. Oh yeah, and I think if any, I'm, I'm not gonna make the argument that he's had a better career than Henrik Lundqvist, but he's won more than Henrik has too, right? And that's yeah, got to mean something. True. Eight mm. championships opposed to nothing in the NHL. You know, that is something. Henrik is going to go down. He's the king. You know, he's going to go yeah. down as one of the greatest goalies ever. And he's going to be a staple in New York for as long as he lives. But in the end, he didn't win anything, and Joel did. And obviously different leagues, different scenarios. It, not really comparable, a forward and a goalie. But championships, you know, they do make or break a career in some people's eyes. And Joel has eight. Yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big New York Rangers fan and I've been following them for kind of the last 10 years or so. And yeah, you make a good point. Obviously, he's going to go down as one of the best goaltenders to have ever played the game. He is the king of New York. He's going he's, he's gonna to be a sort of, you know, a hero in New York. And that goes way beyond the on-ice production. He's been so good in the community. He, you always have that one player for every team that just goes above and beyond for the community that they play for because they buy into the city. They love the city. Henrik Lundqvist is that guy for New York. And obviously, there's a lot of kind of questions about what he's going to do this next year, where, if he's going to be traded, if what the situation is. But his legacy within the um, NHL is unrivaled by a lot of players but you are right in terms of looking at players legacies he's probably going to go down in history as one of the greatest players ever to have never won a championship does that completely delegitimize his career obviously not does that kind of put an asterisk next to his, to, to his career I, I it does unfortunately that's the way sports go sports all about winning it's a competition and if you can't if you can't quite have a team that's good enough to win the championship at least once in your 15 20 year career then that is a bit of a knock on you. That, that's not a knock on your talent as a player, especially as a goaltender. You can only stop the puck. You can't exactly score it that often. Um, but yeah, it's one of those situations where you, you can look at Joel Lundqvist. He's won plenty of championships. Does he wish he won a Stanley Cup championship? I'm sure he does. I'm sure every single player that's ever laced up the skates dreams of winning the Stanley Cup, lifting it above their head and scoring the overtime goal in game seven. You know, every, every player has that dream or that aspiration or that goal. However, if you look at the percentage of players that actually go on to do it, it's such a small amount. That's why it's the one of, if not the most difficult trophy to win in sports. And, you know, just because you go over to your native country where you're more comfortable potentially, or you know you can find consistent work for the next 10 years in your career. You win a couple of championships along the way, get your number retired. I mean, if I was a player, I'd take that over a forgettable three-game stint in the NHL. Sure, you made the NHL and you did something that only a small percentage of players could do, or I'd, I'd take that over a three-season career where you weren't that good of a player or that productive of a player. 
You know, that's that's the great thing about European hockey. It gives these players that aren't necessarily the best of the best out there to go and feel like the best of the best in the league that they're playing in. It, it gives them that opportunity to be like, you know what, I am the guy on this roster, and I'm being like I'm being paid pretty well to do this, and I can go out and have a successful career regardless of whether I lifted the Stanley Cup or not. I think that's why I really like European hockey, and I think it's something that shouldn't be like scoffed at by the north american market for kind of like oh we're just going to take all your good players and we like don't care about the rest of you like there's a lot of good hockey to watch in uh, in the international circuits the shl the finnish liga the khl if you want to watch some good hockey at a more like earlier time than the nhl i mean the, the european leagues are starting up within the next few weeks and months like it's a good time to like get into it you know especially because the season's going to be so delayed yeah and you know just Easy way to get a plug in there, I think. If you are interested in that, you know, we can find more information for that on your Europuck podcast, I would assume, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We, um, we've essentially, Chris and I, my co-host, we've wanted to make sure that we do a bit of an in-depth look at all of the different leagues that are starting up. Because the good thing is, we've got a lot of different leagues starting up at different times. So the KHL started on Wednesday, uh, Wednesday the 2nd, I believe, of September. So, okay, we've got the biggest league in Europe starting up now. It's ready to go. We spent, we spent our most recent episode, which went out today as we recorded this. So episode two is already out by the time this episode goes out. Um, we spent a lot of that episode talking about the KHL, going through all the teams, where they're based, some of their top players, how they've done over the last few years in the KHL. We've also wanted to give a bit more love to some of the lower tier leagues in the K, uh, in the European circuit the Polish league is starting on the 8th of September so we wanted to make sure we gave them some love as well because they have a place in the Champions Hockey League every year which Folunda seems to win every single year they have a place that they can play in it you know they're, they're one of the leagues in Europe and for Chris and I we're not necessarily too keyed up on the Polish league but this gives us a chance to get a little bit more keyed up we're not going to follow it every single game of every single season obviously but we can give them the love they deserve and you know Polish fans that might listen to the podcast might think, you know what? It's nice to know that our league is getting a bit of love <laughs> compared to the Swedish Hockey League that's starting up in a couple of weeks or the Finnish Liga that's starting up in the KHL. Obviously, we're going to focus a lot of our efforts towards the bigger leagues, but like, there's been a lot of talk about the British Elite League and whether they're going to run their season. Obviously, that's very close to home for Chris and I because he works in terms of rinkside reporting for a uh, British league team here. So it's one of those things where we want to make sure we know what it feels like to have our league kind of shafted by the European or the, or the sort of hockey media world. It's very NHL, maybe even KHL based, which is there's nothing wrong with that from a North America perspective. But yeah, we, we want, we want to talk all things European hockey. Come check out the Europuck podcast. If you want to like know more about the European leagues, if you have any questions about European hockey that you want to ask us, we will be more than happy to discuss them. Like we just want to like spread European hockey to other Europeans around the world that don't know there are these other European leagues that they follow. Like there's a lot of people in England that don't know that we have a professional slash semi-professional hockey league in our country. They don't know, they don't know that it exists in our own country. So there's plenty of fans out there that follow the NHL that are probably the same. We also want to help North Americans have a bit of an easier chance of figuring out the the kind of the the crazy algorithm that is the European hockey circuit and kind of <laughs> decipher all of it. But yeah, that that's why we're here, you know. Yeah, for sure. And last kind of topic because we we're going to have to close out soon here, but I did sure. want to actually talk to you about the British Hockey League now. 
I know next to nothing about it. And like you said, a lot of British people don't know. Do you have a yeah. hockey? Do you have a hockey league? And uh, they might not even know it's ice hockey, you know, at that point, right? Mm, um, yeah, no, quite literally. Yeah, yeah. So um, just, you know, tell me, like, I don't even know how long has, um, is it British or is it English hockey league? Cause so so it's the United Kingdom. So it's Great Britain okay. because we have, um, obviously the league is, so so the UK is like Great, Great Britain and Northern Ireland. That's essentially, if we said England, then we'd be leaving out, uh, Cardiff, which is in Wales, the three yeah. Scottish teams that are up in Scotland, and the Belfast team, which is in Northern Ireland. So it's it's the the British or the Great British uh, Elite Ice Hockey. League. We just call it the Elite Ice Hockey League. That's what we usually call it, the EIHL. Um, it's it's a league that is slowly, you know, kind of building momentum, but very slowly. <laughs> I think the fact that we're in the top flight of the World Championships again really helps helps kind of help put us back on the map because we beat France in the final game to stay up in the 2019 tournament. We won like, because uh, for, for those of you who don't know, which if you only follow the world championships for the main tournament, I completely understand why you wouldn't know this. But me being a British fan, I've watched the Division 1B, the Division 1A. Or, so Division 1A is where Canada, Russia, Sweden, like the usual tournament is Division 1A. Mm -hmm. There's Division 1B, there's Division 1C, there's Division 2A, 2B, 2C, I think it goes down to 3A, 3B, and 3C. Um, a couple of years ago, Great Britain were in Division 2A. They then won a couple of championships in those respective competitions in a row. They're now in the top flight against Canada, Russia, Sweden, Finland. You know, like, we're, we're not expecting to kind of, like, we, we just kind of want to keep our head above water and survive these tournaments, you know, just kind of <laughs> yeah. stay in the tournament if we can. If we can't, you know, we'll try and put a team together to get us back. But the good thing is the team that got us to the World Championships in 2019 was primarily British-born and trained players. The last time we were in the tournament was 1994. So it kind of gives you a context of how long it's been, like 20 years. Um, that was mostly dual nationals canadian guys that come over and got a british passport so it kind of goes to show you that like over the last 20 25 years we have actually been able to put a roster together that has not only got us to the top flight world championships but we've managed to stay there for a year so we're, we're kind of slowly but surely building up momentum i'd say about five ten years ago we were very much a league that was full of enforcers We'd get a lot of the like ex NHL enforcers as as fighting was starting to die out of the game. They'd come over to our league, play pretty well. We're still like in the lower half of the European league circuit, without a doubt. But we're now starting to get actual guys that have played NHL games, that have spent most of their careers in the minors or the ECHL. We get a lot of ECHL and NCAA graduates over here. Um, we get a lot of guys that have been kind of doing a tour of duty around Europe and kind of some some of the leagues slightly above us but haven't quite produced as much as they would have liked. So we've got a league here that's gradually gaining process. We've got an international program that's gradually gaining steam and gaining momentum. But for, for us, similar to the French program, the, the Polish program, all of those other programs, it's very slow going because the hierarchy is very much set up already with Sweden and Finland and uh and what's it, uh, Switzerland and Russia very much dominating the top of the board, which you would expect at this point. Oh, yeah, for sure. And just a quick kind of stat check. I do see, because I was, I was going to ask you how many British-born players actually play, but I do see that um, fourth in league points this year was Luke Ferreira, who's British-born. Yes, and, um, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, just I, I assume you know who that is because Yeah, yeah, he's a Coventry Blaze, I believe. Yeah, he's he's been a pretty good goal scorer the last couple of years. We've we've needed that on our roster. We've we've got a fantastic starting netminder who's actually now playing in Austria because there's been a lot of talk whether the British League is actually going to go ahead this year and unfortunately it's looking like it's probably not going to because obviously we're a smaller league. There's only so much money that comes in. If we have to put in social distancing in place where only 50%, 30% capacity for some arenas, it's not financially viable. So unfortunately, we're, we're waiting, I think it's about another week to 10 days until we find out uh, like official confirmation on whether the league's running or not. But all signs are pointing to it not running. So a lot of our British guys on our national team are now moving over to other leagues around the world. We've got one guy that spent the last few years here um, he's gone to uh, the Norwegian league. We've got one guy going to the Austrian league. It's just a case of like trying to find work where work is available and then coming back the next year and hopefully the league's up and running again. Yeah. And would you say that in recent years you have seen an increase in British born players? Because obviously having a British league is important, but like you said, I would assume at the start of the league's, you know, inaugural few seasons that, it was filled with a bunch of Canadian boys, American boys, Swedish guys. And now is that hockey in Britain, because this is something we talk about a lot on our show because Corey is from New Orleans in Louisiana. And part of our big thing is we want to grow hockey in the South because, you know, Corey said as a kid, you know, he never got an opportunity to even really be exposed to hockey. And, you know, it was, it's kind of, I, I get that because, you know, we've talked before. I'm a soccer player. I enjoy soccer. If I could have been born in England, that would have been a lot better for oh, me. Yeah. But over sure. here, it's all hockey. And over there, it's all, you know, football and, you know, some other sports. But hockey's not really in the limelight. Would you say since the British, the Elite League has been established and is starting to grow that you've seen, you know, more hockey, you know, is it easier for British kids to get into hockey now? I think in certain areas it is, in certain areas it's not. It's As you would imagine, it's all very much isolated to where these big teams are based. Uh, a lot of them are kind of in the Midlands of the United Kingdom, further up north. Um, where I live, I live in the south of uh, the southeast of England, uh, East Anglia is where I live. And uh, for example, the closest ice rink to me is about an hour away, which isn't too much of a distance. But if you're wanting to go and practice like every week, several times a week, and we're, we're talking like this is a like just a standard like ice rink that people go to for leisure. It's not a hockey rink, you know. It's not like uh, an arena where you can go and like do team practices. I, I I do think that we're seeing more people get involved in hockey, and I think it's because we're seeing so much success on the international circuit and within the wider sort of hockey world, and it's getting more eyes on the sport. Because I mean, if you have a, a team that makes it to the top flight. And I mean, our team, which, which was hilarious, it kind of went semi-viral when the World Championships happened in 2019. <laughs> we won our first game of, of the tournament against France, which was our final game. It meant that we could stay in the tournament for the 2020 World Championships, which obviously hasn't happened. So the 2021 World Championships. And the team, when they were told that they'd won it, they started singing, we're shit and we know we are. Like, we're, we're very <laughs> self-aware about, like, we're not a, we're not a top hockey nation. But like we thrive in that underdog role. We like the fact that we're not supposed to be where we are, but because we we hustle hard, you know, we put the work in. It's kind of like 
all those like great like feel good stories you see in the NHL of those guys that were told that they were never good enough, but with hard work and perseverance and like putting in the reps and everything, they managed to make it and have an incredible career. That that's kind of the the route we go for here in England. You know, like it might not be the easiest route, but it'll be bloody worth it by the end of it. You know, that's very British humor too. To, yeah, uh, yeah, sing that song, <laughs> and um, you know, I just want to say thanks a lot for coming on i'm glad we got to talk about not just have stuff but european hockey as a whole because i think as hockey grows because that's you know at the end goal the nhl has really tried to grow hockey as the hockey grows other hockey leagues grow there's more hockey to watch there's better quality hockey to watch and i think it's important that we get it out there and obviously you guys are trying to do that with the euro hockey sorry the euro puck podcast on the hockey podcast network um as we wrap things up, do you need to plug any Twitter handle, your YouTube, anything? Go away. Plug session. It, the floor is yours. Sure. Um, I mean, the best place to find me is probably Odd Man Rush, the YouTube channel. Um, that's where I'm active the most, I would say. Um, I upload two videos a week, usually NHL-based. Um, I like to think I'm a bit of a budding hockey historian, bit of a storyteller. I like to find more interesting stories to talk about. I recently just did a video yesterday as we we're recording this. I uploaded a video on the other, the other Stahl brother, so Jared Stahl's story. I like to find like little interesting stories throughout hockey history, especially the NHL's history, and kind of be like, oh, look, this is something that I found that was quite interesting. Maybe you guys didn't know this. Let me tell you about this as well. Um, I also we also have the Europuck podcast obviously on the network um, at Europuck podcast on Twitter. We very much want to have audience based questions. Whether you're new to European hockey, whether you've been watching it your entire life, we love the fact that we're getting all sorts of perspectives. And Chris and I have loved the fact that we're getting people from all over Europe and all over the world that are listening to the podcast. We had one person mention that they're from Ukraine that's listening to us. We've had some North Americans, Latvians, you know, uh, English hockey fans and stuff like that. It's, it's really nice to see that we found a way to kind of bring together all the different hockey fandoms around the world and kind of unite people that may not necessarily, they may come from like smaller hockey markets and none of their friends are hockey fans. They're like, Oh, our league is getting a bit of love from this podcast, you know? So, so the Euro puck podcast, we've released our second episode very recently. So go and check that out. If you're interested, let us know if you like it. If you don't, you can let us know too. We're perfectly fine with that. And um, yeah, odd man rush is probably the other best place to find me because I upload two videos a week and, talk about more NHL related stuff. So if you're just wanting to stick to NHL related content or interesting stories, that's probably the best place to find me. All right. Well, perfect. Thank you once again for coming on. You provided insight that I know I couldn't. And, you know, I think we've had a pretty good talk here. We've been going for a while. So really appreciate you coming on and, you know, hopefully we can chat again sometime soon, whether that's here, whether that's Brits on Bruins or the Euro puck podcast, you know, we'll have to see in the future, but really appreciate you taking the time to come on and talk. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, buddy. Man, I'm a, I'm a, I'm just going to say that I, I was very impressed. I thought you held Habs Knightley on your own in there. I think you did a great job. I'm a little upset I was not there. And that's that's not because you got to one, you know, fuck, man, I can't talk today. Um, But no, man, I'm very impressed. Um, I like what I heard. This is – I'm excited about this Norlander kid even more now that we had uh someone that can that can really break it down a little bit easier to us for uh you know the not so smart listeners like myself um but i'm jelly i'm not gonna lie but uh some folk you know you guys don't have to be uh you guys can check out Europuck podcast 
I know it was already promoted, but uh, you guys can still check that out. That airs every week. I believe it's on Thursdays. But uh, man, that was sick, dude. Well, yeah, had a good, had a great time. Um, you know, I've already, I've already kind of <laughs> mentioned this, but um, yeah, check out the Europoke podcast. It's a great podcast. And um, without further ado, um, this has been Habs Nightly. I've been your host, Mason Dixon, joined by the one. The only to buy you benders. He's Thank only you. rushing it because he's got a tea time, folks. You guys I don't have a tea time, man. <laughs> we'll talk to y'all next time. Y'all have a great evening. This dude. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network on Twitter at HockeyPodNet. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from.